This Sunday completes our four-week mini-series on parenting from the book of Ephesians. There has been much to preach about regarding the relationship between parents and children that is so critical in this day and age where it seems that so few believers are willing to do the things that God calls us to as parents. Do it God's way. So as we begin this morning, we're going to start in Ephesians 6, verse 4, and we're going to be there the whole day this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 4. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, what a blessing it is to come and worship corporately. Sing such songs to you, Father. Fellowship with one another. Help us, Father, to be doing this for your honor, for your glory. Help us to be a church that is faithful to your word alone. Father, we ask that you empower us with your spirit. I ask that you give me wisdom, Father, as we share your word. I ask that you change all of our hearts for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6, verse 4 this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 4. And it says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So my question is, how do we provoke our children to anger? And then on the flip side, how do we bring our children up in the right way? How do we raise them in the Lord? Most of us who are parents don't wake up in the morning and think, how can I provoke my children to anger? I mean, consciously, we don't decide that we are going to try to ruin our children's lives, right? The problem often runs deep, deeper than we realize. There are ongoing patterns and habits that we have formed and are a part of our lives as parents and the child relationship that has been going on for a long time, possibly for many years. And Scripture reveals that we are often our worst enemies, blinded by our own sinful habits as parents that lead our children to anger and frustration. John MacArthur says to provoke to anger suggests a repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over into outward hostility. So what are some of these patterns or habits that cause our children to internal frustration, that we provoke them to anger? And to start this, to start looking at the first one, why don't you turn with me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, and we'll look at verses 24 and 25. That's Proverbs 24, 22, verses 24 and 25. And it says this, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So God's word here is saying that we need to watch who we are friends with, right? Because they affect us. If they are angry and we hang out with them, there is a good chance that we will pick up their sinful anger. Well, how much more 
Does this apply to parents, to fathers and mothers in the home daily angry? For example, dad is driving and someone is driving slow in front of dad in the fast lane. And dad, instead of going around the car, speeds up and starts honking his horn at the car. And dad starts yelling at the car in front of him and giving hand gestures. Well, let's just say they're not the most encouraging. All the while, the children are taking it all in as they watch their dad losing his mind over a car going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. And they see this, not just on that day, but they see it daily. They see it weekly. They see it monthly. They see this behavior in their parents yearly, every day. It's a lifestyle. So the first way parents provoke their children to anger is when they are angry. That makes sense, right? The first way parents provoke their children to anger is when they are angry. Do we have a short fuse? Are we easily angered? When does the anger come out? How is our children being affected by this anger? What about when we discipline our children? Are we controlled by anger? Disciplining our children should never be done in anger, right? Our children need to see mom and dad disciplining them in love, not out of emotional anger. But what are other ways we can provoke anger in our children as parents? The second way parents provoke their children to anger is when they show favoritism. The second way parents provoke their children to anger is when they show favoritism. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, the story with Joseph and his brothers. And then we also see this with Jacob and Esau, where Rebekah, the mother, preferred Jacob over Esau. Do we naturally gravitate to one of our children over the other? Maybe it's because... We have similar hobbies like playing sports or we play games with them like chess or we like to go fishing and we end up sometimes spending more time with one child over the other. Or we can say things like this. Why can't you be like your older brother? Why can't you be like your sister who gets straight A's? Why can't you be like little Johnny who is great at sports? Showing favoritism and comparing siblings is harmful and disastrous for them. The third way parents provoke their children to anger is when they are self-centered. The third way parents provoke their children to anger is when they themselves are self-centered. These are the parents who either ignore their children because they are focused on themselves or they only give attention to their children when the child is involved in what that parent likes to do. Parents like this look at children as a hindrance more than a blessing. These parents are consumed with things like work, entertainment, or sports, or hanging out with friends, doing the things they used to do before they had children. And the child gets in the way of their self-focused agendas. Self-centered parents can only love themselves. So these children don't even experience real parental love. 
Fourth way, parents provoke their children to anger is when they parent inconsistently. The fourth way parents provoke their children to anger is when they parent inconsistently. The rules may change daily so the children aren't sure what is right and wrong in their home. For example, the rule at little Johnny's house is to make his bed in the morning, but little Johnny hasn't made his bed for almost two weeks now, and mom has not said a word about it. So little Johnny assumes he doesn't have to make his bed anymore, right? But on this morning, mom comes in and lectures him for not making his bed, and little Johnny becomes confused because this rule hasn't been enforced for two weeks. This leads to frustration and anger on little Johnny's part because the rules change daily in his household. The fifth way parents provoke their children to anger is when they overindulge or enable them. The fifth way parents provoke their children to anger is when they overindulge or enable them. We usually think that overbearing, angry parents is the ones who cause their children to angry, but the opposite is true as well. They, this may be, I would say, the worst problem that we see in children and parents today. It's not so much, how can I train my child to love the Lord, but how can I make sure my child is happy at every moment? How can they be happy and most satisfied at every moment. That's the parent's model in these overindulged, enabling parents. And often their goal is to free their child of any burdens or stress. This mom or dad handles all complicated situations and trials that come up in the children's lives. And it often continues even in adulthood where you have mom who's 60, 70 years old getting their 40-year-old adult son or daughter groceries because they don't like to go get groceries. Again, happiness is the goal in these parents. They want their children to be happy. The child becomes angry because he or she has not learned how to live life and deal with life's issues and problems as as, as children. Mommy and daddy have always jumped in and handled the tough situations for them. Turn with me to Galatians 6, 2 through 5 to further see this perspective. Galatians 6, 2 through 5. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So we see here in verse 1 that parents are called to help their children carry their burdens at times. This is a general principle to all people, right? But at other times, like verse 5 says, that the parents need to let their children carry their own load. Make sure they're learning responsibility and learning to handle trials of life. The goal 
for a parent who's raising their children in the Lord is for the child to grow in holiness, not happiness. We want children to grow in holiness, holiness, godliness, not happiness. But let's go back to our main text in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. And be ready for no, more note-taking because we have a lot more stuff to cover here. But it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul says both discipline and instruction in the Lord are both needed. You have to have both of them. Proverbs 22, 6, you can just jot this down, says, To train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we see that training a child in the Lord means disciplining them and instructing them the child to love the Lord. We don't only instruct the child in the Lord, nor do we just discipline the child. No, the child training is disciplining and instruction both. We can't train our children in the Lord without both, which leads to point number one, which says training in the Lord requires both discipline and instruction. Let me say that again. Training in the Lord requires both discipline and instruction in the Lord. And I know we've discussed the instruction part the last three weeks on parenting, so I'm going to focus this week more on the discipline aspect. But I'll ask, how well are we training our children in the Lord? Are we instructing them in the Lord? Are we disciplining them in the Lord? So the next question is, how should we discipline our children? Should we spank them? Spank or not spank? That is the question, right? Because many in our society, even many Christians say no. We hear comments like, we don't believe in spanking. It's cruel and abusive. Or we hear other people say that spanking is bad for the psyche in the psychological world, right? Or, or we hear other people say, I love my child too much to spank them. Or spanking doesn't just, it just doesn't work for my children. It's just not something that works, so we don't do it. So I would ask you all and myself, what does the Bible say? Because it really doesn't matter what we think or what our experience have been, has been. It's what the Word of God says. We are called to be faithful to the Word of God, right? That's why we come together. Because we all trust the authority of the Word of God as God's commands and rules and regulations and, and relationship with His people. So, the question is, what does the Bible say about spanking? Does the Bible tell us to spank our children? Well, let's start looking in a few passages. First, go to Proverbs 22.15. Proverbs 22.15. And we're just going to hit a few different Proverbs, so keep your hand in the Proverbs. And the first Proverb is one we've scratched the surface on in a, in a few weeks ago. And it says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him or far away. Drive it far away, whichever translation you're looking at. So we see that folly or foolishness, or as we discussed it, I think, two weeks ago, 
that evil is bound up in the heart of a child. And it says spanking with the rod deals with the evil inside the child's heart. It says it drives it far away. It clears away the sin and brings peace back to that child. The child is able to once again be obedient to their parents. They're once again able to be respectful to their parents. They're once again able to honor mom and dad once again. That's a beautiful thing. But let's also turn to Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. And it says this, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will surely not die. And if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So we glean from this verse that some parents, even back then, may have been worried that spanking might physically hurt their child. But we see here that if we spank correctly, it's beneficial to them. The proverb goes on to say that it will help the child spiritually. The word for sheol here can also be translated as death. And in this passage, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about saving their soul from physical death. So we could translate this passage to say something like this. Using the rod will save his soul from hell. Using the rod will save his soul from hell. Through discipline with the rod, it helps our children submit to their parents, which one day they will have to use that same submission to turn to God. Turn with me to Proverbs 29.15. 29.15, a few more that we're going to look at. Actually, two more. Proverbs 29.15. And now you guys remember, I'm just, this is what the word of God is saying, right? We understand this is what God's word says. It's not what I'm trying to say in my own way. This is just what the word of God says. 29.15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So we see here that spanking with the rod, it says, gives or imparts wisdom, as other translations say, and a child left to themselves, which what would it be a child left to themselves? Well, if disciplining is spanking with the rod, well, the one who isn't spanking is left to himself, it says. He's undisciplined. He's wild, disrespectful, which brings shame to the parents because as little ones, like my four-year-old, if he's totally out of control and crazy, that reflects my parenting at four years old. The last verse on correction that we will look at is Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 13, 24. I save the best for last. 13, 24 says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Let me read that again. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he loves him is diligent to discipline him. 
God's word says that sparing or using the rod less actually is hating them. This verse isn't saying they don't do it at all. It's saying they often don't do it when they should. And it says it's actually hating the child. It's not that this parent does not spank at all, but they aren't spanking consistently. Why is it considered hating the child? Why is that considered hating the child? Well, because parents are not doing what is best for their child. They're doing what's best for themselves. God's word equates love for the child with consistent spanking because it helps the child. It's best for the child. We learned already that it deals with the sin in the heart supernaturally. When we correct our child, somehow God does something in the heart of that child. This is where we trust God to do his work in our children. God is working in the child's heart as we administer discipline with the rod, it's saying. Often parents think spanking is unloving because of how it makes the parents feel as they see their child in pain. And it looks like they're suffering as they're crying, right? But we, again, as Christians, aren't led by our feelings, right? We're not led by our emotions. We're led by the word of God. They look at this as cruel, right? But really, it clears the heart of the child and it gives the child peace. It's the most loving thing a parent can do when a child is being disobedient. Not only that, but God blesses us as parents when we are obedient to his plain, clear, crystal clear word. So point number two is a long run on sentence. So get ready here. Biblical discipline requires spanking, which imparts wisdom, drives away foolishness, helps spiritually, and shows love to the child. I'll say that again. But what I did is I, just made, I put all the verses together in one sentence. Biblical discipline requires spanking, which imparts wisdom, drives away foolishness, helps spiritually, and shows love to the child. Do we have a biblical perspective of spanking this morning? Do we see the benefits or the blessings that follow a parent who disciplines with the rod? Are we following plain scripture when it comes to disciplining our children? So the next question is, how should we spank our children? How should we discipline our children. What are some guidelines to follow when we are going to be practice biblical correction with the rod? Well, I decided I'll share some of the guidelines my wife and I follow. And I've gotten a lot of these ideas from probably God's Word and three specific books that I think are pretty biblically based. And it's Don't Make Me Count to Three by Ginger Plowman, Train Up a Child by Mark, uh, Michael Pearl. And then Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And those are all three phenomenal books on parenting if you want some good material from a biblical perspective. But guideline number one is this. Discuss what the child has done wrong and why it is the parent's responsibility to spank them. Let me say that again. Discuss what the child has done wrong and 
why it is the parents' responsibility to spank them. So we want to make sure our children know why they are being corrected, right? If they don't understand why I'm spanking them, well, that's, that is not good, right? Because it's going to really confuse and it's going to cause the child to struggle. So we must talk about the disobedience before we spank them. We want to ask them good heart-probing questions like, do you think it pleased God when you hit your brother in the face? Right? Or, or Lukey, when you did that, do you th- what, what sin do you think you, you, you actually committed in against God when you did so-and-so? We ask them heart-probing questions. And then we talk about why mommy and daddy need to spank them. We explain that spanking is a loving action for them. We talk about how it's good for their little hearts. And how spankings teach them right from wrong. Guideline number two. Parents administering discipline to the child must be under control. Parents administering discipline to the child must be under control. I don't even know why I have to say this one, but I do. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We must be under the control of the Spirit when we're trying to train our children and the Lord in the area of discipline. There's no place for anger when we spank. There's no place for it. This will only lead the child to resentment instead of repentance for their actions. We have discussed that anger not only is 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 bad for them, but it's contagious, right? That's what the Proverbs said. Our anger will then cause our children to grow up and be angry as well. And they'll have something really against their times of being disciplined by their parents because it was, it was committed out of anger. But not only that, as parents, when we are angry, we make the disobedience about us as parents, about how they were not listening to us and how they're ruining our lives. And we're making it about us as, as a personal vendetta instead of directing their little attention to how they're disobeying God. That's what we're supposed to be doing is training them to, to love the Lord, not act like they've you know, rebelled against us and make it about us. We make it about their rebellion against God. Guideline number three. We use a rod, a paddle, or a wooden spoon for spanking. So use a rod, a paddle, or a wooden spoon for spanking. The goal is to inflict pain without injuring the child. And the reality is without pain, the spankings are pointless and worthless. I don't know how many parents have come to me and said, well, I tried spanking him, and I gave him a little swat on his, on his, on his bottom, and um, it didn't work. Well, yeah, has to, there has to be some pain involved. Spanking is administered on the bottom of the child with a rod or a wooden spoon or something of that sort. But red marks is as far as it goes. We can't have bruising. We can't have anything else. That's called abuse. This brings the child into submission as they feel the pain. This allows the child to give up their rebellious will and finally submit to mommy or daddy. Guideline number four, spank promptly after the offense occurs. Guideline number four says spank promptly after the offense occurs. This matters more, obviously, when a child is younger. For example, a two-year-old disobeys with company over, 
or versus a seven-year-old. With a two-year-old, we will have to correct the child immediately. We'll have to go right to the bathroom and discipline him for what he has done. But when we're talking about a seven-year-old, we might just let them know what's coming after the company leaves. Lovingly, of course. Lovingly. Guideline number five. Guideline number five, spank the child in private. Guideline number five, spank the child in private. The goal is not humiliation of the child in front of others. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to spank them and say, look at everyone sees you getting a spank and how bad of a child you are. No, we're not trying to humiliate them that way. We're not to, trying to train them to be little people pleasers. We're trying to train them to be God lovers. We don't want undue distractions either. The child needs to be fully engaged and focused on the discipline process that he is dealing with at that moment. Guideline number six. After spanking, this is probably one of the most important ones. After spanking, take time for reconciliation. Guideline number six says this. After spanking, take time for reconciliation. This is some of the sweetest moments I know I have with my children. The child's heart is cleared of sin. Their conscience is clear. During this time, we remind them of our love for them and why we're doing this. Many children, including mine, will want to hug you and pour out their heart to you and tell you how sorry they are for what they have done before the Lord. But let me say this too, we are called to forgive them as Christ forgave us. We must show the same forgiveness to our children because there's often parents that hold grudges even in the midst of after they discipline them, they give them the cold shoulder and they do other manipulative things that are really abusive. And we want to talk about of abuse. So we need to make sure we're, we're, we're training them and loving them and showing what real forgiveness is as we open arms forgive our children. This gives us opportunity as well to pray with them and to talk to them about what they did and thank God for his grace on our children. But also, we can pray and thank God for the grace that he gives us as sinful parents as well. And the children get to hear all this. Some of you may be thinking, wow, this sounds like we might need to quit our jobs and just be full-time disciplinarians, right? Well, not exactly, because spanking, discussing, reconciling, and, and I skipped the seventh one. Let me go back here. Guideline number seven. Sorry about this. Parents require the child to make restitution. I have to go back to this because it's an important one. So guideline number seven says parents require the child to make restitution, which means the child is guided to make things right. So they may need to go to others and ask for forgiveness and confess their sin to someone they just hit in the head. They need to go and make restitution, make things right with the people that were affected by their sin. But really, when we look at this process, it probably takes anywhere from 2 to 15 minutes. 2 to 15 minutes. And this is more of an investment it is important to discipline our children God's way. This is something we're losing, losing generations. And one reason why is because we're not training them. We're not training our children at all. But you may be wondering why is it so important to discipline? 
You may be wondering, why is it so important to discipline? Let's turn to Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And it says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it so we see that God disciplines us as his children because he loves us he wants to do what's best for us he wants to help us become more like Christ right we see our sin Often because of the Lord's chastisement on us. And often it's very painful. And similarly, our discipline to our children is to prepare them to submit to Christ. Which is point number three. Which says discipline prepares our child's heart to receive Christ. Discipline prepares our child's heart to receive Christ. The child learns that the the seriousness of his sin or her sin, and not only that, but the consequences of sin as well. The child has learned to submit to the parents because of the discipline of the rod, and this submission is preparation for one day submitting their little hearts to Christ. GotQuestions.com says this, the importance of the rod of correction is that it steers the heart of the child toward Jesus and forgiveness of sin he offers when the parents trust God's methods over their own they see the blessings for their children and themselves in conclusion so how are we doing in the area of disciplining our children are we guided by God's word when we discipline our children or are we guided by the culture or our past experiences. We can't let wrong experiences affect the way we discipline our children in the present. This morning, we must and have to be faithful to God's word. God's way is clear. It's loving. It's controlled and consistent. And spanking is what we are called to as parents for our little ones. God disciplines us, as Hebrews tells us, And he says this, that discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a fruit of righteousness of those who have been trained by it. 
if you have any little ones and have more questions regarding this subject of disciplining your children and training them, please come talk to myself or Pastor Casey or some of our wise parents here who can guide you in this. And I know, honestly, I've only scratched the surface on this subject, and there's many other questions to be discussed on this. So if you have any of those, please come to us. We'd love to help you if this is a new teaching for you, or perhaps you want further counsel on how to handle discipline with your children. But let's now seek the Lord's strength to follow His ways as we parent our children God's way. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, a heavy sermon we have just heard, Father, from your word. I ask that you give us wisdom in this area as we all struggle as parents. And we don't have it all figured out, but we do have clear principles and guidelines that we can follow from your word. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you supernaturally work in our children as we obey your truths for our children. Thank you for your love and your grace that you give us. And it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen.